Mother's Day. It's a holiday. It's full of endless possibilities. So why does the celebration sometimes feel confusing? Is it possible that it's because holidays like this that mean so much on paper maybe don't make as much sense in real life? Hello, I am Mary Claire. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, I guess what first comes to mind is like you think of, you know, celebrating Mother's Day with your mother as a kid. And of course, brunch. Like, who doesn't think of brunch? Oh, this is exactly what I want on Mother's Day, uh, to take my children out in public and to a restaurant where I have to make them all behave. Hi, this is Erin from Los Angeles. What do I think of when I think of Mother's Day? Breakfast in bed, getting a break from, I think, tasks that we traditionally think of for mothers, uh, like housekeeping and cleaning up and things like that, which, you know, this question's made me think about that a lot, um, about whether or not that's really the right way to celebrate. I'm a stay-at-home mother of two. I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And so if I'm being really honest, like right now in 2021, when people are like, oh, it's almost Mother's Day, uh, my first thought is, oh, uh, one more thing. I mean, for me, whenever I hear the word mom, I immediately get an image, a feeling in my chest. But that doesn't happen when I hear Mother's Day, or at least it doesn't happen the same way. The nice feeling I get hearing mom is replaced by a sort of anxiety with Mother's Day. I mean, in my experience, Mother's Day has always been a confusing holiday that ends up, you know, falling somewhere between not quite enough and too much. The same goes for Father's Day. I've never been totally sure what's expected of me or exactly what either day is supposed to mean. I mean, does saying, I love you, Mom, on the second Sunday in May have more meaning than other days? Or am I supposed to say, I love you more often on that day, which is what my go-to is? Some people might have cracked this code, but I know that I'm not alone. This confusion is exactly what senators, presidents, and the public at large debated as they considered making each of these holidays official. So, what are these holidays? And, if I'm being honest, were they really created by Hallmark or some New York ad exec? Where did Mother's and Father's Day actually come from? And what do these origin stories tell us about the holidays themselves? Today we have a special episode of Creating Christmas, the second in our four-part countdown to Creating Christmas Season 2. We're going to figure out how we ended up needing a day set aside for each parent separately, and why it took Dad over half a century longer to get his own official holiday than it did Mom. That's right, today on Creating Christmas, Mother's Day vs. Father's Day. The root of Mother's Day, how it started, comes down to a separation that not many of us actually think about. It's how we look at one person and make them something else. A mother, each of our own moms, is actually two different people. On one hand, she's the woman who's become a mother, while at the same time, she's something else. She's also the person who is mom, as seen through the eyes of her kids. This makes each mom one person with two different personas. The creation of Mother's Day and then Father's Day is the story of these two coexisting but competing narratives defining who a mother is. One as experienced by the woman and the other as witnessed by her child. And so through everything that led to Mother's Day, the decades of social clubs, the political action, the setbacks, the push to make it an official holiday, 
it's really fitting that the story of our national holiday comes down to just one family and really just one mother and one daughter. It all comes down to Anne Reeves and her daughter, Anna Jarvis. I know not everyone's a parent, but most of us have been around the parent at least enough to know that having a kid can take over someone's life. Being a parent can nearly block out the entire outside world as moms and dads figure out how to take care of their kids, love them, raise them, keep them healthy, and build safe communities. So imagine having that intensity and love taken away. Losing a child. Then imagine that happening over and over and over again. Losing a child eight times. If we're looking for the original seed of Mother's Day, it might be found planted in the eight graves dug by Anne Reeves. By 1858, Anne Reeves Jarvis was only 26 years old, but she'd already given birth to five kids and buried two. In her life, she would give birth to 13 kids, but only four would survive to adulthood. Living in mid-19th century Virginia wasn't just a hard life, it was a tragic life. The losses that Anne suffered weren't especially unique to her. In the 1800s, burying a child wasn't that uncommon. Boys and girls sometimes get the measles. Throughout the world, homes were ravaged by measles, diphtheria, and typhoid. And in particular, these were big problems in Virginia, which had poor sanitation and limited access to professional medical care. I got me a sow and several other things. The sow took the measles and she died in the spring. While she was pregnant with her sixth kid, Anne set out to unite mothers in a way that they could work together to support each other and improve their community. To do this, she formed Mother's Day Work Clubs, which spread through the surrounding towns and became a very effective way to teach and share knowledge about sanitation and child rearing. This dramatically improved the life and health of Appalachian children. But starting these groups was just the beginning of Anne Reeves' social work. Seeing her work change the world around her, she came to believe in the power of the collected will of mothers as an instrument of social and political change. And this was especially important in the years to come because a civil war broke out. Virginia was literally split. Anne ended up in the newly made West Virginia, which went union as a state, but actual allegiances differed almost house to house in her community. Instead of picking sides, Anne pressured the members of her Mother's Day work clubs to promote neutrality. Not only that, she urged them to care for the troops on both sides of the conflict. Now, her efforts during the war were recognized by area leaders after the war, and she was called upon to help heal the divisions within the state. To do this, Reeves and her club members planned Mother's Friendship Day in 1868. Leading up to this day, there were fears of protests, violence, and some hoped the event would be canceled altogether. But in the end, Anne was able to pull off an event where soldiers from both sides, as well as members of the community, gathered to sing songs and begin the process of reuniting. Throughout the rest of her life, Anne went on to highlight mothers and motherhood, both as a Sunday school teacher and a speaker. It was one of those early lessons that her daughter, Anna Jarvis, would recall soon after her mother's death in 1905. I hope and pray that someone sometime Will found a memorial Mother's Day commemorating her for the matchless service she renders to humanity in every field of life. And as the story goes, this memory would put Anna's life on a completely different path. 
If Mother's Day had started with Anne Reeves or her contemporaries such as Julia Ward Howe or Alfred Lowe, both of whom tried to start their own Mother's Day, the holiday might have become something completely different than we have today. It would have been a day for mothers, a holiday of solidarity and political action. See, Anne Reeves looked at the possible holiday from her perspective as a mother and embraced the communal strength and power of fellow mothers. But what does that mean exactly? For that, I reached out to the person who literally wrote the book on Mother's Day. Dr. Catherine Antolini, Associate Professor in History at West Virginia Wesleyan College. In her book, Memorializing Motherhood, Dr. Antolini uncovers the history of Mother's Day and how the holiday that Anna Reeves might have asked for in her sermon was fundamentally different from what we now call Mother's Day. What was interesting about um, Anne Reeves Jarvis is that she was a mother herself. So she was looking at motherhood in a broader term, that as women who are the primary caretakers of children, it wasn't enough just to care for your own children. You almost had a responsibility to care for all children at large. If you think of women who are supposedly natural born caretakers, that Anne Reeves Jarvis really took that caretaking role and put it in a larger social setting. As mothers, we should come together and we need to fight against dangers to our children. And in her case, in the 1850s, it was fighting the spread of diseases that were killing their children off. So it was very kind of a um, proactive motherhood, uh, sometimes referred to as a social motherhood, that there's a larger obligation, not just to mother your own children, but to kind of help mother a community. In the end, though, the socially active Mother's Day envisioned by Anne Reeves and her contemporaries was quickly fading away by the turn of the 20th century. Instead, it was her daughter, Anna Jarvis, who, recalling her mom's wish for Mother's Day, began gathering support for the holiday. A daughter, without children of her own, became the champion of the Mother's Day cause. Her daughter, Anna Jarvis, will never marry or have children, but she always viewed motherhood through the eyes of a daughter. So that's a distinctly different perspective. So when Anna Jarvis creates a Mother's Day, she creates it really viewing motherhood in a more traditional way, that you celebrate the woman who dedicated her life to nurture you. So she didn't have the experience of being a mother to see a Mother's Day like her, her mother did. She just didn't have that experience. So she very much developed a Mother's Day that's very much through the eyes of a child. Which brings us back to the question that underlines the entire holiday nowadays. Who is this holiday for? Three years after her mother's death, daughter Anna organized what is now considered the first celebration of Mother's Day at Andrews Methodist Church, which, conveniently enough, her mother had actually been instrumental in getting built. Now, while Anna didn't attend this first celebration, she did send 500 white carnations, which were her mother's favorite flower. And instead, she attended a service that afternoon held in the auditorium of the Philadelphia department store, John Wanamaker's, which attracted 15,000 people. Now this first Mother's Day locked in the date that would come to be celebrated yearly, and how it got chosen sheds light on how Anna Jarvis's approach to spreading her holiday differed from that of the previous generation and the ideas of her contemporaries. To start with, the second Sunday was close to her own mother's birthday, but in a more illuminating strategic detail, Anna had chosen a Sunday so that it would be celebrated in churches and at home on a day when most people wouldn't be working anyway. 
Now this holiday spread very quickly and was already celebrated in many states and countries even before President Woodrow Wilson made it an official recognized holiday when he signed the Congressional Resolution in 1914. As a public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. Now, it is a very short amount of time from the holiday's creation in 1908 to its federal recognition in 1914. This holiday moved fast. Imagine having a kid, and before they're even in first grade, their birthday is celebrated by everyone in the country and many parts of the world. I mean, that seems astronomical, especially when you consider that Anna's attempt was not the first attempt at making a true Mother's Day holiday. All of the other attempts had already faded into obscurity. And then that the subsequent holiday, Father's Day, actually took over 50 years to become official. So I had to ask, how does a holiday get created in six years? And the answer is, it wasn't an accident. She created a movement. She wasn't the first one to think of the idea, and she'll even admit to that. But she'll argue she's the first one who did something about it, right? That worked hard to make sure that it became a national and even international movement. And she, it's a letter-writing campaign she would write to any politician she thought could help her, she'd write to every state governor. She'd write to newspaper men and magazine editors. She wrote to, she appealed to all the churches. I mean, anybody that she thought could help her. And so she would tailor her argument to whoever she was speaking with about why we need to have a Mother's Day. How much do you think it had to do with social pressure about women moving back to more traditional roles? And how much of it had to do with just people wanting to honor their mom. Think what's going on in the early 20th century. You have younger generations of women who are kind of pushing back against the traditional ideal of a woman being a, a wife and a mother, right? So in the early 20th century, you have more and more women wanting to go to college. You have more and more women, women wanting to enter into the workforce. You have the suffrage movement in the early um, 20th century. So there's there's some argument that Embracing a holiday that celebrates women in this very traditional role was kind of a pushback, right, against this fear that you have a younger generation of women who are wanting something other than being a wife and mother. So if you can create a holiday that venerates being a mother as the most fulfilling thing a woman can do, then it's kind of a little bit of a, of a reaction, a pushback against generation of women who may think there are other means of fulfillment. The societal factors, what it meant to be a mother and a parent that charted the course of Mother's Day in one direction, pushed Father's Day in the complete opposite way. Only a year after the first Mother's Day in 1908, there were already people pushing for a Father's Day. But while it took Mother's Day six years to gain national holiday status, Father's Day would have to wait another 58 years. What happened to dad? The first Father's Day was actually inspired by the second Mother's Day. Sonora Smart Dodd heard a sermon about Ann Jarvis's 1909 Mother's Day sermon and thought fathers needed recognition too. Her own father was a sort of parent hero. He was a Civil War veteran turned father who had raised six children as a single parent in Spokane, Washington after his wife's death when Sonora was only 16. The pastors of the Spokane Ministerial Alliance agreed to have a celebration. Like Anna Jarvis, Sonora wanted to set the holiday on her own father's birthday, June 5th. 
but the church deferred to later in the month in order to have time to compose sermons, having just delivered Mother's Day sermons. So the official first holiday celebration took place at the Spokane YMCA on the third Sunday in June. From there, Sonora remained an activist for the holiday for about a decade until she left to study at the Art Institute of Chicago. To put it simply, at first Father's Day just wasn't popular with fathers. It rang too similar to Mother's Day as a chance to be the tender gentle army, things many men in the 20th century didn't want to be associated with. Yeah, it was kind of a joke in the beginning. Fathers were not quite sure where they'd fit, right? They understood the role as, as economic provider. But being, you know, more engaged in their children's lives is a little bit of a different kind of role. And so Father's Day was kind of made fun of in the beginning. Even Anna Jarvis made fun of it her entire life. With so much pushback, it seems natural that Father's Day would be abandoned. And it might very well have been lost, except for commercialism. While Sonora was in Chicago, the idea of using a day devoted to men as a selling point became very appealing to retailers, especially during the Great Depression. By the time she returned to promoting Father's Day, Sonora found that her holiday had lots more friends that wanted to see it become a big deal, specifically from trade groups representing manly things like ties and tobacco. In 1938, manufacturing interests and holiday enthusiasts finally got together when the New York Associated Menswear Realtors formed the Father's Day Council. At the same time, though, the definition of a father in the family was changing dramatically. The sentiment had to be there. As fathers become more involved with their children, people start to see, yes, my father is more involved in my life, and my father does deserve, or all fathers do deserve, more appreciation just beyond breadwinner, but actually being um, a key figure in the lives of their children, especially by World War II. And we're honoring fathers as you know defenders of democracy. And this idea of men should be active as the, these male role models in their children's lives. So I think we've become more comfortable as a society of viewing fathers as being much more um, active in the day-to-day lives of their children. This transition of a dad's place in the family continued. And finally, the world was officially ready to dedicate a day to him in 1972. So, did greeting card companies actually create Mother's Day and Father's Day? Well, the simple answer is no. But it's really hard to separate the commercialism of the holidays from their celebration. The selling of Mother's Day very nearly killed Anna Jarvis, who after the creation of the holiday, watched in horror as her day for mothers became an economic boom. In the first decade alone, her official flower, the carnation, went from a half cent to 15 cents per flower. She would literally spend the rest of her life fighting people commercializing her holiday. With Father's Day, on the other hand, there's a really good chance that it would never have become an official holiday without the support and pressure of trade groups wanting to take advantage of a man's day for selling. As it stands today, Mother's Day is a $25 billion a year industry, while Father's Day follows closely at $17 billion. Now to put that in perspective, Christmas only brings in a little more at $30 billion a year. For me, I'm not sure who the holiday is for these days, but I do know that each year, three different celebrations are packed into each single holiday. And I think if we don't get bogged down in the actual celebration, each of these holidays can mark a sort of magical passage of time. 
Think about it. We first celebrate the holiday as a kid looking up to their parents. And then many of us grow into that role, looking at our own kids reflecting that admiration we once tried to exude. And finally, some of us get to watch our own kids have that transition. And by that time, we can toast them with mimosas. I don't know about an official holiday, but maybe having these sorts of days set aside to underline our own life changes gives us each a chance to witness and appreciate our time together. Thanks so much today to Dr. Catherine Antolini for sharing her insight. There is so much more to the way people have honored their parents and a whole history of the now erased Parents Day. To find out about this, check out her book, Memorializing Motherhood. Creating Christmas was produced this week by OSI and me, Bobby Christian. You can find us year-round on creatingchristmas.com. If you liked today's episode, hit subscribe. You don't want to miss out on our next two surprise episodes before we launch into season two coming in November. I'm Bobby Christian, and until next time, stay jolly. Ho, ho, ho!